0: Issues Etc. is listener-supported. We rely on you for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Now, if you appreciate Issues Etc., please consider making a tax-deductible gift today. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Issues Etc., Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. And thanks for your support.
1: That hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, a Thanksgiving Hymn, may still be ringing in your ears, not because we just played it, but because you may have sung it yourself earlier today on this Thanksgiving Day, or maybe last night gathered together with your fellow Christians for a Thanksgiving Eve service. It's one of the hymns traditionally sung by Christians in Thanksgiving in all circumstances, and therefore appropriate for a national day of Thanksgiving. On this Thanksgiving Day, greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to talk about the liturgy for a day of Thanksgiving. Pastor David Peterson will be our guest. Then in Hour 2, we'll discuss the Mayflower Pilgrims with one of their descendants, Pastor David J. Weber. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Gottesdienst's The Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back to Issues Etc.
2: Thank you, Todd. It's my pleasure.
1: We are going to be talking about the liturgy for a day of Thanksgiving and the Church's observation of kind of this national day of Thanksgiving here in America. But you say that the Church has a greater, the great Thanksgiving, that it celebrates more often than just one day a year. What are you talking about?
2: Well, that's one of the words that we use, the, the word Eucharist, which we use to describe the Holy Communion or the sacrament of the altar. And it's a it's a New Testament word that's used for this sacrament. Lutherans don't use it a lot because it can be kind of confused or misunderstood as though the Eucharist, the Holy Communion was something we were doing for God to earn his favor or something that could be done apart from faith and still be good. But, but nonetheless, it, 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 though those that misunderstanding might happen. The word itself is completely appropriate to talk about the Holy Communion because the Holy Communion in the Lutheran liturgy is completely surrounded by thanksgiving. In the center, of course, are the words of Jesus himself and the words of institution wherein we hear that he gave thanks uh, when he broke the bread and when he took the cup. So he he explicitly gives thanks to the Father for the bread and the wine. But, so that's the center of it. But even before that, as the beginning of the communion liturgy, the Lutherans here every week as part of that is the preface. The pastor turns to them and says or chants, let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. And then the people say it is meet and right to do so. And then the pastor uh, says or chants uh, this big long paragraph about how it's always right to give thanks to God and goes on a bit for why it's always right. That's the proper preface that changes seasonally. But, but it's always a thanksgiving. And then in the same way, after the distribution, after receiving the body and blood of Jesus, uh, the pastor turns to the people and again says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And then we respond by saying, and his mercy endures forever. And then the pastor prays a thanksgiving prayer. So the, the Holy Communion is, uh, is received in thanksgiving by Christians um, and is in, in itself really an act of thanksgiving. So, It really is the right way. I mean, we do this, of course, every time Holy Communion is celebrated. uh, But it really does, on Thanksgiving Day or on Thanksgiving Eve, those portions of the liturgy do kind of take on a new import or a new significance, sort of the way that the glory in Excelsis does on Christmas Eve. But in any case, this is really the way that Lutherans observe Thanksgiving, is by receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins
1: for the sake of context give us a little background on what has come to be today thanksgiving day in kind of american parlance but also in the churches often on observation of it in america
2: Well, liturgically speaking, I mean, from a a Lutheran perspective, this is a very American day, uh, probably the most American holiday, in a sense, that we observe in the Church. The origins, of course, are with the pilgrims, uh, as you're going to hear in the second hour, who had survived this harsh winter, and when people finally stopped dropping like flies, and the harvest had come in, they were thankful and they rightly attributed their survival to God's mercy. Now, they were not Lutherans. They were Puritans, uh, and they had a tradition of fasting and feasting uh, that was really a a terrible confusion of law and gospel, but it, it was pious. I don't want to be too hard on it. So when things went badly for the Puritans, they figured God was punishing them, and so they had days of humiliation and fasting. Now, to put the sort of best construction on that, That's not as though they were trying to appease God's wrath by their humiliation or their fasting. They were simply trying to take God's wrath seriously and and repent. And they weren't wrong to see uh, in everyday life evidence of of God, right? We learn this in the Ten Commandments and the Small Catechism, that we should fear God's wrath and not do anything against His commandments. But in any case, the Puritans were confused, and they didn't really have a real healthy view of this. But when the tragedy had passed or some relief had come, then they would celebrate and they would feast. And this is the context, really, of the first Thanksgiving. It would not have included, by the way, worship services, because the Puritans didn't have feasting and entertainment on days of worship, because they were confused about long gospel, and they were confused about what it means to keep the Sabbath. Nonetheless, it was a religious observance, in a sense, because they were thanking God deliberately, specifically, for sparing them and asking God to continue to do so. So when the Episcopal Church in America, you know, 140 years later, in the prayer book of 1796, gets a hold of this, they make this uh, a corporate worship setting. Uh, The Episcopalians now, Anglicans, they're not. Puritans, and so, but they get this being the right idea, they think this is right, we ought to do this, a kind of Harvest Fest of Thanksgiving, but we ought to do it with corporate worship. And again, when Lincoln declares it to be a national holiday, and then Congress fixes it in 1941, which is the same year that the Lutheran Hymnal, TLH, the old Red Hymnal in the Missouri Synod, was published, then really this becomes uh, formal corporate worship services gathering together become more and more prominent. So really what we have in America today for Thanksgiving is, uh, one, we have a presidential proclamation. Number two, we always have some sort of allusion to our pilgrim forefathers. And then three, we have a feast with turkey. And if the feast lacks turkey, that's okay, as long as you make a big fuss about the fact that you're not having turkey, right? That's how it's got to work. So most Christian churches that in America are going to also offer a worship service, um, And usually they used to do it on this day, on Thanksgiving Day itself, on Thursday. But now it's being held more and more often on Wednesday evenings. So that's just kind of the background why we're doing it. Why do we do that if we're not Puritans? We do it because because there is really a legitimate reality to this, and it's right to give thanks, as we say in the liturgy, in in all times and all places. And, And if you think of the traditional prayer that Lutherans and Roman Catholics use before receiving the blood of Christ in Holy Communion, before the chalice, they pray Psalm 116, verse 12. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits for me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Now, I think in some ways, if you said, what shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me, to a Puritan, he would say, well, uh, I guess I should have a feast and I should thank God. But the Lutherans say, what shall I do for all God has done for me, not just say thanks, but actually take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. The way that Lutherans give thanks is by coming together to get more of what they're giving thanks for. Now, Now, one more thing on this, and there's just a sort of delicious bit from the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, which is really, I would say, the Apology, Article 4, more than even the Augsburg Confession, is kind of the heart of the Confessions. That's the doctrine, the article on the doctrine of justification in both, but the Augsburg Confession's brief and the Apology is much longer. Uh, th- th- the Apology, Article 4, explains in part the Lutheran and biblical view of New Testament sacrifices. And this comes into play with can we use the word Eucharist to talk about the Holy Communion? And also, what is the role of thanksgiving in general and praise in the Christian's life? So here are Melanchthon's words from the Apology. He writes, These are the sacrifices of the New Testament, as Peter teaches a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices, however, are contrasted not only with animal sacrifices, but also with human works offered ex opera, operata, That is, uh, works that work themselves. Uh, That's what the Latin means. Because spiritual refers to the works of the Holy Spirit within us. Paul teaches us the same thing in Romans 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship refers to worship where God is recognized and is grasped by the mind as it happens when it fears and trusts God. Therefore, it's contrasted not only to Levitical worship, in which animals were slain, but with any worship in which people imagine that they are offering God a work ex opera operata. The epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 13, teaches the same thing. Through him, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And it adds an interpretation, that is, the fruit of the lips that confess his name. He commands us to offer praises, that is, prayer thanksgiving, confession, and the like. These availed not ex opera operata, but on account of faith. This is stressed by the phrase, through him let us offer, that is, by faith in Christ. In summary, writes Melanchthon, the worship of the New Testament is spiritual, that is, it is the righteousness of faith in the heart and the fruits of faith. So that really, I think, helps set up the the right understanding of what we're doing when we gather together for a Thanksgiving worship service. We're not coming to appease God's wrath by our offerings. We're coming to receive his gifts wherein he has already appeased his wrath for us. That is the fruit of the cross, the Holy Communion.
1: Pastor David Peterson is our guest on this Thanksgiving Day. We're talking about the liturgy for a day of thanksgiving. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Godistines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. We will turn to the traditional reading for a day of thanksgiving, Luke 17, the cleansing of the ten lepers, on the other side of the break. Christmas is a holy day, not just an ordinary holiday. It's when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that's why Emanuel Press keeps Jesus as the focus of all their Christmas cards. And that's why they use the words of Scripture and the poetry of hymns inside the cards to confess our hope in Christ. Visit their website at EmanuelPress.us to see a variety of cards, including a brand new card for 2016. E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L Press.us <laughs> Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria in the fourth century, was known for boldly confessing Jesus Christ as both true God and true man. This is what we do at St. Athanasius Lutheran Church in Vienna, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., continuing this historic confession of our Savior, who died for us and now comes to us in word and sacrament. If you live in the D.C. area or just visiting, come join us. For more information, find us on the web, St. Athanasius Lutheran Church.
0: Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc.
2: Recently graduated from high school or college and looking for a chance to serve a community in need while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Lutheran Young Adult Corps may be for you. Lutheran Young Adult Corps provides opportunities for long-term, full-time service for 10 weeks through the summer or 10 months over the school year in places like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Boston. Find out more about Lutheran Young Adult Corps by finding us online at lcms.org slash Y-A-C-O-R-P-S or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Lutheran YA
0: If you're like me, you remember when education was about the basic skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic, and about reading great literature and history that gave our kids models of what it is to be a good person. Memoria Press's classical Christian curriculum is bringing this kind of education back. Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time.
3: Oh
1: The second stanza of the hymn, Now, Thank We All Our God. I'm Todd Wilkin, this is Issues Etc. On this Thanksgiving Day, we're talking about the liturgy for a day of thanksgiving. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. The gospel reading that is ordinarily assigned for a day of thanksgiving is the ten lepers in Luke chapter 17. What are your thoughts there, David?
2: Well, we have the same gospel on Trinity 14 in the uh, one-year lectionary, so I'm not going to I don't want to go through it, all of it here. Uh, there is an on-demand archive that you guys provide, issues, etc., and they can listen there if they want. But I do want to highlight that the surprise in this account is that the Samaritan leper doesn't go all the way to the temple. Uh, when he discovered on the journey that he had been healed, he immediately left the nine and returned to Jesus, and then, of course, worships Jesus, giving thanks, and Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Now, Luke, of course, is setting up really a typical contrast Uh, The way that this works, the people like the priests who are to certify the miracle that the lepers have been healed, who should know that Jesus is the Messiah and should rejoice in him, do not. While the outsider, without the benefit of really deep scriptural training and tradition, the Samaritan leper does recognize Jesus as the Messiah and worships him. So this is the surprise that he doesn't seem to follow Jesus' order and go to the temple, but comes back. And this is a warning for us in the first place. The Samaritan re- leper, what he recognizes is not only that Jesus is the Messiah, but that Jesus is actually the real temple, and that Jesus is the real priest, and that Jesus is the real sacrifice, uh, all of which, of course, the Levitical code and ceremony was pointing to and for which it was waiting. So it is only the Samaritan leper who comes back to Jesus who really does what Jesus commanded him to do and who receives the full benefit of the temple in Jerusalem because he recognizes the temple built without hands and the priest in the order of Melchizedek and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through his self-sacrifice. So that's the kind of surprising thing, that the Samaritan leper is more theologically astute and sees more clearly than the priest's and the nine Jewish lepers. So the leper returns to give thanks, to be sure, but this isn't really a pericope about gratitude. It's really a pericope, or a, a, that means a reading, a, a kind of a contained reading. It's a, it's a story or a pericope about faith. And the significant thing about the leper is not that he was polite and said, thank you. Again, it's that he recognized who Jesus was and he worshipped him. So that's kind of the point to be sure, there's an admonition here, but it's not so much to be thankful as it is to be ever more cognizant of who Jesus is, of what he's done and what he's doing for us, and that we persevere in the faith by remaining constant in worship, constantly in the place where Jesus promises to be for us, right? The, le- the leper goes where Jesus is. That's the genius of his theology, that he recognizes that he needs to repent, and that repentance... Uh, in that repentance, he receives this acceptance from Jesus, he is saved, and therefore that leads him to thankfulness and praise. And then one last thing uh, that I always just have to touch on, and that is that the command that Jesus then gives to the Samaritan leper, which is translated in the ESV as rise and go, I think would, would really be better translated as rise and come. Because in English, Go means depart or go away or go out, and come means come in or come near, come forward, right? But in Greek, they don't have this distinction between coming and going. So the old joke is they don't know if they're coming or going. Well, that only works if you know English. Anyway, here, Jesus, it doesn't make any sense for Jesus to say, rise and go away. You did such a good job coming back to worship me, now leave, that doesn't make any sense at all. What does make sense is if Jesus says, rise and come with me, right? Stand up and come with me. Follow me. Your faith has saved you. Let's go to Jerusalem together. That's, that's what really this is about. So that's the first thing. Now, I think it is interesting that in the the Book of Common Prayer, which is the the, uh, uh, Anglican worship book or the Episcopalian worship book that's parallel to our books, to Lutheran books, and also in the service book and hymnal, which is 1958 uh, LCA, Lutheran Church in America, kind of contemporary of the Lutheran hymnal in the Missouri Synod, Those books don't have this gospel, Luke 17, but they assign Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34, which is, of course, a very familiar section of the Sermon on the Mount that begins Do not be anxious about what you will eat and drink. And and that is also really kind of an an important thing to think about on Thanksgiving Day when people are often overly concerned about the quality of their feast, right? Did I have, was the turkey dry? You know, they're worried about what they're going to eat or drink or what their guests are going to think of them. And also very appropriate for us, you know, on the brink of Black Friday and the sort of materialism that Americans are, are particularly prone to, I think. So if you think about the admonition, if we just say, be thankful to someone, I mean, what does that really mean? Uh, It has to mean, I think, really kind of count your blessings, right? If you say to your child, be thankful, you're saying, stop and realize that what you've been given is pretty good and you ought to be thankful for it and not take it for granted. In other words, there has to be something to be thankful for in the admonition, be thankful. You can't just be thankful for nothing. So that's really also, that, that jibes well with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, to stop and think about what matters, to reflect upon the Father's providence and constancy, the surety of his promise. And, and, and along with this is sort of that the opposite of thankfulness is discontentment, right? We yell at our children and say, be thankful when they're acting discontent. And so true thankfulness Uh, is really contentment, which, again, is really summed up beautifully in in the Sermon on the Mount, and do not be anxious, but the Lord will provide and take care of things.
1: The uh, intro, or the entrance psalm, is 104. What is it, and why is it appropriate for a day of thanksgiving?
2: Well, this is really a great uh, psalm for Thanksgiving Day. It's 35 verses long. We're only going to get about four or five verses of it. And I want to spend kind of as much time on this as we can, because it's probably the best expression of thanks or of thanksgiving in the propers for Thanksgiving Day. What I mean is that the other propers are sort of telling us to give thanks, right? Uh, Whereas this psalm actually does give thanks, And it gives thanks for us and with us, because the psalms uh, aren't just examples of prayer, but they are also prayers for us to actually pray, to use. And so Psalm 104 is, is really this kind of marvelous, sweeping psalm, 35 verses long, and it starts out with really this kind of epic poem of creation. It starts with heaven, and then it moves to earth, and it conveys in a very deliberate way the orderliness of creation, from chaos to order, so that everything has its place. Lions and rock badgers, or conies, have a place to live just like humans do, and all of them, rock badgers, lions, and humans, and and all things in the sea, look to the Lord for food. Every creature that was created by God, which would be all things, except for God himself, all creatures are codependent upon the giver and the creator. And then an important note is, in the kind of food that is explicit in this psalm, Doesn't this verse isn't in the intro, but it's the psalm, where uh, what does the Lord provide for food for human beings? Well, he gives us plants, and he gives us gardens to cultivate, and he also gives us wine, oil, and bread. So in verse 15 we read, "...and wine that makes glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart." So this is important because the Lord uses bread and wine as a vehicle for his risen body and blood. In the sacrament, the Lord makes glad our hearts and he strengthens our hearts. We are elevated above the goats and the young lions, even though it was our sin that makes them hungry, right? That they're searching, that they have to look to God for their food and hope that he delivers it. We are joined to Christ who joined himself to creation in order to feed us, with more than the bare necessities, right? We're not just living on bread and water here. We have turkeys and stuffing and pies and, 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 and whatnot, right? And, of course, this is the God who gave his life to make our hearts glad and strong in him. So this wine that makes glad the heart of men and bread which strengthens man's heart is, is important. And then the oil that makes man's face to shine is rightly understood as a foreshadowing of the character and the gift of holy baptism. right? Baptism is an anointing, that is a marking. So David was anointed or was marked with oil to be the king of Israel. And the Lord Jesus Christ was anointed or marked with water in the river between the wilderness and the promised land to be the suffering servant, the, the Messiah means anointed one, the one who would die and rise as our kinsman redeemer. And then we are anointed likewise with water, following the the mode of Jesus, into the death and resurrection of Jesus, and thus we are named and claimed by God, and our faces shine towards him, right? We look towards him with pleasure and with joy because of this. So oil to make his face to shine. So that's the first half of the psalm. We're going through it fast here. But the second half deals with the preservation and the redemption of the world. Like the original creation was brought out of chaos, so also redemption is brought out of chaos. That is, that our sin has plunged the world back into chaos, and the redemption, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the atonement, actually pulls things back into place, back into order. Uh, And so all of the kind of problems in the world are our fault, right? Lions go hungry and rabbits die because we sin. So in verse 25 we read, so is this great and wide sea wherein all things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. So the sea, the Hebrews were not seagoing people, right? Uh, they, they lived inland, and the ocean for them was sort of scary, and it represents chaos and death. It's really kind of a great, dangerous unknown, and it schemes with things innumerable, with beasts small and great. And worst of all, from their perspective, really are really what we would call sea monsters, the Leviathan, probably whales. So a whale washes up on shore. I mean, it's this crazy giant monster. Or they see it spouting, and they see these things in the water, and it, it almost doesn't make sense to them, in, in a sense. Uh, and yet, in this psalm, in 104, even the Leviathan is... Dependent upon God for his food and is even tamed by him. So that we, we read in verse 26 there go the ships, there is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. So the Leviathan, even this monster, becomes the Lord's plaything. The Lord is in control as it is in charge. So creation's goodness is not so good as it once was, right? We have plunged it back into sin, sin, disease, death. Betrayal, adultery, war. These things are a reality on this side of glory while we wait for the culmination of time. But the Lord has not gone away, not at the time of the psalm, not at the time of Jesus, and not now. So he does not give the demons free reign, right? The the sea is chaotic and represents this, but it's under the Lord's control. He tames the beasts of the earth. He keeps his children safe. And the spirit who once hovered over the chaos brings it to good order, still. As he did in the beginning, he's still doing now. So in verse 30, Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. He, the spirit, is renewing the earth. So the very next line, verse 31, The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. And we get that idea kind of mirrored in the hymn later. But this is really, the psalmist here doesn't say that we should rejoice in the Lord's works. That's what we're used to, right? We should rejoice because the Lord's done such marvelous things. What he says here is that the Lord himself shall rejoice in his works. He rejoices. I mean, this is really something. He is renewing the earth. He is pulling back again from chaos, back to order, in order that he might rejoice in it. And of course, chief of his works are human beings, is man, to whom he gave dominion over all the earth. He restores man, renews him by his spirit, given in baptism, right, the watery chaos that drowns the old man, foreshadowed in the... Uh, oil from earlier, and also in all this water talk throughout the psalm, wherein, right, by this water, man is joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that Jesus, so that Jesus might rejoice in him, that is, rejoice in the redeemed person. So then we should look to him because he gives us our food, food in due season, and he rejoices to give us our food. He loves being our God. Uh, it's just something else. Okay, so the next lines, verse 32, has to do with the crucifixion, I think. That is the shaking open of the graves in Jerusalem, the darkening of the sun, and so forth. And the hill that is touched here is Golgotha. So in verse 32, he looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. In response, then, we get the end of the psalm, and we can say with the psalmist, and, and this is part of the intro it, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. So we live in Christ, renewed by the Holy Spirit. Our being is in him, and so is our gladness. And thus our meditations of him are ever sweet. And this really, then, is what Christian Thanksgiving is. It's rejoicing in, in the fullness of this, in creation and in the recreation, and in the promise of what is to come.
1: We're talking about the liturgy for a day of Thanksgiving on this Thanksgiving Day with Pastor David Peterson. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other propers for a Thanksgiving Day. They're pretty straightforward, but we've got time to talk about them. Folks, if you're thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc., please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift. With about six weeks left in the year, we're about $120,000 short of our 2016 expenses. You can contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues, Etc., and send it to Issues, Etc., Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. The address again, Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a year-end secure online donation at IssuesETC.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for keeping us in mind at the end of 2016. Stay tuned. Christians, young and old, are increasingly pressured to change their beliefs. That's why St. Jude said we need to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. At the San Antonio Worldview Conference, Confessional Lutherans Jonathan Fisk, Jay Weber, Ryan McPherson, and Craig Parton will unmask the false, direct us to Christ and His Word, and defend the faith. The San Antonio Worldview Conference, Saturday, February the 11th, San Antonio, Texas. Visit worldusa.org worldusa.org
0: Are you tired of working out at big box gyms? You'll find quality personal training and qualified instruction at Performance Fitness in Edwardsville. You can even work out for a full 30 days before making a commitment to join. Find out more at PerformanceFitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. PerformanceFitness618.com.
1: At Concordia University, Irvine, you can pursue advanced theological study for academic, professional, or personal development. Concordia's Master of Arts in Theology program is grounded in the truth of Scripture and insights from the Lutheran Confessions. Courses are taught online and at intensive on-campus sessions in the summer. Apologetics, Christian education leadership, and Reformation studies are just a few of the emphases offered. For more information, visit cui.edu theology.
4: Are you tired of working nights, weekends, and odd hours trying to cover your bases at home just to make ends meet? At the Cleaning Authority, we call that the multi-job shuffle, and we want to end that for you right now. We'll train you in our proven, efficient cleaning methods and you'll be partnered to work in pre-qualified homes. Call 314-416-8117 and walk away from the multi-job shuffle with a future in our St. Louis office, 314-416-8117.
0: You can teach laypeople theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following
1: congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. St. Paul's Lutheran, Coleman, Alabama, Faith Lutheran, Waterloo, Iowa, Emmanuel Lutheran, Everett, Washington, Lake George Lutheran Chapel, Fremont, Indiana, Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran, Snohomish, Washington, Faith Lutheran, Buford, South Carolina, Trinity Lutheran, Great Falls, Montana, Mount Calvary Lutheran, Westview, Pennsylvania, St. Paul Lutheran, International Falls, Minnesota, Redeemer Lutheran, Marshalltown, Iowa, Trinity and Grace Lutheran, Bear Creek, Wisconsin, St. Paul Lutheran, Sevierville, Tennessee, Good Shepherd Lutheran, Sherman, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran, Dexter, Iowa. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click support, and print a one-page flyer. The Issues Etc. 300. Welcome back to issues, cetera. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about the liturgy for a day of Thanksgiving. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other propers that are found for a Thanksgiving day, beginning with the colic, this little prayer that is prayed. How does this one go, David?
2: We pray Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, whose mercies are new unto us every morning, and who, though we have in no wise deserved your goodness, does abundantly provide for all of our wants of body and soul. Give us, we pray you, your Holy Spirit, that we may heartily confess your merciful goodness toward us, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in faithful hearts through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. So it's a prayer for the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is given to us, then we will be able to heartily confess God's merciful goodness and give thanks for all his benefits and serve him in faithful hearts.
1: So I notice here that this prayer, as you just said, doesn't say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, as our impulse (laughs) might be to kind of screw up some really grateful feelings toward God. It asks God to provide, via his Holy Spirit and his word, the very gratitude that we lack really.
2: Right. I mean, if we want a prayer of thanksgiving, we would pray, we give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift, and we beseech you of your mercy, right? That's the really great Lutheran thanksgiving prayer, and it's in response to the Holy Communion. In in the collect of the day, uh, we're really asking for the Spirit so that we might pray that thanksgiving prayer after Holy Communion.
1: You had said before, that the, the appointed gospel reading was about faith and not about thankfulness. It was about recognizing, again, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, who and what Jesus is for the sinner. It seems to me that a lot of our latent guilt about not being thankful enough to God really is, is, comes from kind of this misdirected idea. What, God isn't sitting there saying, golly, Nobody appreciates me. He, <laughs> right. He seeks faith, not appreciation.
2: Right, and faith expresses itself in, in appreciation to some degree. But but right, that what he's interested in is those who believe in him. What he loves is the Syro Phoenician woman. Right. He, he loves the prayer Kyrie Eleison. In, in some ways, I, I don't want to downplay the Thanksgiving. I mean, it, it, gratitude is a is a virtue, and it's legit. But in Christianity, it comes from something.
1: The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy 8. It kind of picks up in mid-thought about keeping the commandments, preparing to enter the promised land, and maybe even uh, serves as kind of a warning here, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. What does it have to say?
2: Well, and it's very much, I think, kind of like uh, reminds me of that Matthew 6 reading, right? So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him, for the Lord God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water and so forth. And then he says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God, and by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, and so forth, uh, you be forgotten. So that's exactly right. It's simply showing the reality that if, it isn't. It doesn't say again. I mean, I don't want to over. I don't want to beat it to death. But it doesn't say be sure to be thankful. Uh, you know what it says is obey the commandments and rejoice in what God has given you. And thankfulness, of course, will flow out of that.
1: Does it also have for us, especially for us living in a still very prosperous 21st century, for the most part here in America, a note of warning about the humility? that God required of his Old Testament people and still requires of us today when it says he fed you with manna and wilderness that he might humble and test you.
2: Yeah, isn't that interesting? The, the, uh, t- to be fully human is to be dependent, right? So they, they go into the promised land and they drink from wells they did not dig and they live in houses they did not build, right? We are beggars. And uh, he humbles them by providing everything. I, I think this is, by, by the way, this is the reason that pastors are required in an ideal situation to live by the charity of the people. It's very kind of humiliating in a sense, in, in a good way, that uh, this is the proper Christian response to, to live by others' charity because we live by God's charity. And, and that's what he's reminding them of. Because whether you recognize it or not, it's God's charity, Right? I mean, you, you might go out and have earned it, and good for you, but it's still coming from God.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the gradual that's appointed for a day of Thanksgiving, and uh, it's a kind of a put together several psalms here, 34 and a few pieces of 147.
2: It reads, "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's thirty-four eight. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So really very parallel to Psalm 104 uh, that God provides and that we should uh, receive that in joy and then recognizing again that the God takes pleasure in those who fear him, that is those who have faith.
1: Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We'll take another break. We're talking about the liturgy for a day of Thanksgiving. We'll discuss a little bit of the epistle reading appointed, First Timothy, where the, the apostle says, Look, I urge you to pray all kinds of prayers, especially for those who are in authority over you, for kings and those who are in high positions. We're talking about the liturgy for the day of Thanksgiving. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana.
4: We know that you want to build your family on the right foundation from the very start. The foundation of Jesus Christ. Concordia Publishing House offers more than 8,000 products for churches, schools, and homes. Dedicated customer service and an experienced staff to help you focus on what matters most. Click to connect at cph.org. Concordia Publishing House. Listening, responding, providing for God's people. Concordia Publishing House. Cph.org.
1: Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of Issues etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at IssuesEtc.org. You can also contribute by check, make your check payable to Issues etc., and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. With six weeks left in 2016, we're approximately $120,000 short of expenses. Thanks for keeping us in mind at the end of the year
0: expert guests expansive topics extolling christ you're listening to issues etc many lutheran pastors outside of the u.s receive little or no seminary education Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at LutherAcademy.com or call two six zero four five two twenty two eleven. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth, Luther Academy two six zero four five two twenty two eleven or LutherAcademy.com. Your pastor has been called to shepherd
1: you as a member of Christ's flock. Doxology offers an innovative program of advanced study retreats where your pastor can be refreshed, renewed, and refocused. Find out more at doxology.us. Many pastors report that doxology has been one of the most valuable learning experiences since seminary. Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. doxology.us doxology.us that's the final stanza of the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. We're looking at the liturgy for a day of thanksgiving with Pastor David Peterson. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of Godestines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. Before we go on, what can you tell us about Emmanuel Press's Christmas cards this year, David?
2: I think what they do really well is that they're they're so Christological, and the, the artwork is beautiful, but then also the Bible passages that are chosen uh, don't tend to be sort of the typical 10 passages that you see on every other Christmas card, because they, they have a kind of a broader understanding and a better, deeper understanding about is. Uh, and also the hymn stanzas that they use in their passages, they're not from Christmas carols. They, they tend to be from Lutheran chorales So they, they really just do a beautiful job of of allowing you to witness to your friends and your neighbors, those you give Christmas cards to, in a way that's accessible, but but a little it sounds silly to say they're more Lutheran, but I think they are more Lutheran. I don't know how else to say it.
1: You can check out an order of these in some ways unique Christmas cards at that's emmanuelpress.us that's e m m a n u e l press.us. David, let's talk about the epistle that is appointed for a day of Thanksgiving, 1 Timothy Two, it's really short, but there's, there's quite a bit to say about it.
2: There is. We read, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, first of all, we've got to note that this is an important passage that disproves the idea that God predestined some for hell. He did not predestine anyone or choose anyone for eternal damnation, but he sincerely desires that all people be saved, and he has made atonement for all people, reconciling himself to the world in the death of the Son. So, we get that first. Secondly, these passages urge us to be a people of prayer, right? Uh, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and so forth, and, and explicitly intercessory prayer, not just because the words intercession is used here, but because he says that they be made for all people, and as you pointed out, for kings and rulers in particular. So we should be making supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for people, right? We should be and in terms of thanksgiving, I think this is really interesting, that we should be giving thanksgiving for what other people get. Now, I know we don't do this very often. We might give thanks if something good happens to our granddaughter because, you know, we think she's really special. But I just wonder how many of us, when's the last time that we thank God for the blessings that he has given to our congressmen? Right? I mean, that's what he says here to those who are kings and in high position. So do we say, oh, thank you, God, for, you know, allowing my congressman to be so wealthy and to do all these great things. Uh, that's hard for us. Usually we're mad at our congressman. Or, you know, thanking God for the gifts that he's given to the opposing quarterback to keep it in the Thanksgiving theme. A few months ago, I read this article about the results of a psychological study regarding couples that had been married for more than 40 years and who still liked each other, right, and who were very happy together. And one of the findings was that they... They discovered that those couples that had been married for a long time and really loved each other and enjoyed each other's company was that they rejoiced in one another's kind of victories and successes. Now, it's also important for couples for intimacy to sympathize when your partner is sad or something unjust or he's been mistreated and so forth. But this study, at least, believed that it was even more important and more significant to rejoice when something good happened to that person. And uh, the article then kind of speculated, or the study, that couples that didn't do that, they didn't do that because they were competing with one another. So the husband wasn't happy when the wife got a promotion because he felt like he was in competition with her. And, of course, then that wasn't healthy and that destroyed intimacy and happiness. Now, I'm just bringing that all up because I think this could also, I think that's true. I think we do need to rejoice in our spouse's successes and good things that happened to, to him or to her But I also think that this applies to friendships and to the mutual consolation of the brethren, even. You know, that uh, part of how we live together as the body of Christ is to rejoice together. Now, we kind of do that, obviously, when somebody brings a baby to be baptized, but I think we could probably be a little more explicit in it and do it a little bit more. Um, We pray for one another in in our needs, but we should also give thanksgiving for one another. Uh, And I think that... uh, To do this is to kind of move past envy, which is envy is being sad at someone else's happiness. It's really a stupid, stupid sin, but we do it. So it moves kind of past being sad because someone else got something good, and it really moves into thankfulness. Now, I know, of course, this doesn't happen by preaching of the law, right? Me telling you that doesn't make you all of a sudden do it, because hearing about it and sort of thinking about, have I prayed for my congressman? Have I given thanks when good stuff has happened to people that I'm annoyed with or whatever, right? That is accusing. I'm I'm sure, I don't know how you could hear that and not be accused, unless, of course, you're self-righteous and then you need to repent. But the law does, even though the law accuses in a scenario like that, the law also teaches Christians. That is, it teaches us who are living by grace and the forgiveness of sins what is good. And it helps us to reorder and adjust our worldview. The gospel doesn't teach us to thank God for our congressman's successes. We need the law for that. But the law shows us what's good and what's right. It shows us what God's will is. And of course, as always, we see this fulfilled in Christ, right? That he was never envious or competing, that he was content and he was thankful and he prayed for people and rejoiced with them. So we, we thank God that, of course, he, he, did, he didn't do that so that we wouldn't have to. We thank God that he did it. He did it for us. But he didn't do it for us so that we wouldn't have to do it. He did it for us in our place so that we get credit for it as our substitution. But he's more than just a substitute. He is also an example And this is something that we do need to uphold, that the love and forgiveness of Christ, his acceptance of us, his desire that all men be saved, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, actually empowers us to change and makes us new creatures. And it's that freedom of the gospel that causes good works to sprout up in us, and with the instruction of the law, actually has direction right? So it's not just, oh, I feel good, Jesus loves me, and I feel good, and I want to help people. The, the law actually shows us how to help people and to do what we've been called to do in a way that's right. So we get a bit of law here. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That law accuses us because we haven't done it like we should, but it also instructs us so that the new man can say, hey, I want to do that, and now I know what it is, and I can strive for it. Uh, on this side of glory, we won't do it perfectly, but we live in grace, and we have, the, we have the power to do it, and the freedom to sort of do it imperfectly, trusting that God will provide and forgive.
1: We've got about a, a minute here. You say that the hymn that we've been hearing and that is appointed, Now Thank We All Our God, is a really important one, and it could substitute for uh, maybe even uh, table prayers as a even better substitute than Come, Lord Jesus, Be Our Guest.
2: Yeah, it's a very kind of Missouri Synod hymn. It's very uh, ingrained in the Missouri Synod psyche and culture, and uh, and it's a it's a sturdy tune. It's it's a nice it's a nice text. You know, it's it's not the greatest, most deep, uh, profound hymn. It doesn't have a lot of Christology or atonement language in it, but it does do a good job of capturing the reality that Thanksgiving is praise, and it does follow a very kind of psalmic pattern. That is that praise or thanks is a response to God who acts in history, right? That we're not just uh, praising God for his attributes or his sovereignty or, you know, that, oh, he loves us so much and, you know, his character. But rather we're praising God for creation, for the exodus, for redemption, for the Messiah, for the cross, for the resurrection, for baptism, and and so forth. So the the, the hymn, it's a good hymn, uh, and I think if you're in the Missouri Synod, you know, you probably know it by heart anyway, and you probably look forward to singing it, but, but it's worthwhile. One, one other thing it's sort of of interest for the Missouri Synod is that this hymn is actually based upon a passage from the Apocrypha from Ecclesiasticus 20, verse 22, which is uh, the end of a, a kind of a long psalm. So it's a Missouri Synod use of the Apocrypha, which is kind of fun also.
1: Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, departmental editor of Godestines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. You can find out more about this liturgical Lutheran think tank at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen On Demand. David, thank you very much. Thank you. Folks, Christmas is just 30 days away. Let Concordia Publishing House make your Christmas shopping less stressful. Check out their Christmas catalog at issuesetc.org. Or call 1-800-325-3040 and they'll mail the catalog to you. 1-800-325-3040. In our two of issues, etc., we're going to talk about the Mayflower Pilgrims with a descendant of one of them, Pastor David Weber. What is fact and what is fiction in the familiar story of these pilgrims who left their home country seeking religious liberty? Did they think about it as religious liberty? Were they looking forward to a new promised land? We'll answer some of those questions with Pastor David Weber. On the other side of the break, I'm Todd Wilkin. Hour 2 of Issues Etc. in five minutes.
0: Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.
4: College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep. Scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konski, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com
3: repentance and forgiveness sin and grace law and gospel more than cliches real preaching for real people in need of hearing the real christ christ for you and the divine service at saint paul lutheran church of hamill illinois where we gather every saturday night at six and on the lord's day sunday mornings at seven forty-five and 10. look for the church of the neon cross on i-55 between exits 30 and 33 find us on the web st saint paul lutheran church of hamill where there is the forgiveness of sins life and salvation for the people of god